John chapter 10, verse 27 to 30. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So it's a privilege to be gathered here today uh, and be able to speak to you. So shall we just pause and ask that God will bless us. Lord, we thank you for us being able to come together in this way. We ask that you'll just still our hearts as we've sung and that, Lord, we will want to be able to reflect on what's gone past in the last year and just our approach as we look ahead. And Lord, above all, may we hear how you want to fundamentally be part of that in our lives. And Lord, how you want to transform our lives so that whatever we're facing, we can have confidence in you. So bless us now, we ask in your name, Lord. Amen. I don't know how many of you were given Christmas presents uh, and how many of you are wearing any, anything today from that. I, I've got a watch and I, I say that because that's to reassure you. I never normally uh, have a watch, which means I have no idea how long I'm supposed to speak for. But it's a good watch because it'll actually tell me how, many, how often I've got to stand up and it'll also tell me how many calories I uh, expend while I'm preaching. Because obviously, if John's going to be preaching twice, we, we need to be careful of his exercise regime, that we're not going to tire him out too much. I asked Lydia, and I'm really grateful for Lydia and for Derek being able to be part of the service um, today. Um, and Lydia read out a poem... Um, that was written by someone called Minnie Louise Hoskins. She was born near Bristol and went to India as a missionary in 1903 when she was 28 years of age. She particularly went to go and witness to women who had had difficult times in the community in India. And after she'd been there nearly 10 years, funds were struggling in the mission, and so she published a book of poems. I'm not sure all of us could do that. I'm sure there are some poets here today. And within that was the poem that we had read to us today. Two years later, she returned to the UK and actually became an early lead academic in sociology which is really interesting for my daughter, who happens to be worshipping in a church in the area in London where Minnie uh, was uh, working. She originally called this poem, God Knows, but it became known as the gate of the year after it was read by King George VI, who you see there in his Christmas message to the nation in 1939. And it subsequently emerged that he had read this, having been given the poem by his eldest daughter, who of course became our future Queen Elizabeth. Um, and the significance of the words, it had a profound effect on the family. 
because the words of this poem would be later fixed to the gates of the memorial chapel at Windsor, Cha- chapel, uh, Win- Windsor Castle, where King George would be buried, and it was also included within the Queen Mother's funeral. The national impact of these words was also reinforced for any of you who've been watching old Christmas films, The Mortal Storm, 1940, uh, had these words towards the end of it. And so these have become some of the most memorable words from the monarch's Christmas speeches. I'm not sure how many of us here will have stopped everything else we were doing on Christmas Day at 3 p.m. and stood up whilst the national anthem was played and stood to attention. I think there's probably some people here who would know just the significance of the, uh, the, the monarch's message. It started in 1932. Two years later, 20 million people heard the message as it was given. Now, I was surprised to find that actually it still topped the um, number of the viewer ratings for Christmas Day this year. It beat Strictly. It beat Doctor Who. Though my daughter, I think, was trying on her own to uh, get Doctor Who's figures up. up. Um, But just under 6 million people listened to the King's message, but 20 million heard it in 1934. In 1939, when King George said this, it was when the Second World War had just begun. And the King who, if you've watched the film, The King's Speech, you will know he had a terrible stutter. So it wasn't an easy thing. But he had to speak to a nation that had really only just about recovered from the First World War, and now was embarking on the unknown, and things were not going well. He needed to speak a message of the assurance but not just one that was blindly saying everything would be okay. And actually, that's part of our job here today. As a church, we're not here to just say to you, do you know what? Everything is going to be fine and easy because the Bible makes it clear that we will face difficult times. But we're here to give you the only assurance that really lasts, which is the need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. George VI said, it is the tragedy of this time that there are powerful countries whose whole direction and policy are based on aggression and the suppression of all that we hold dear for mankind. Now, whatever we think of politics in Ukraine, in Kiev, and in Moscow, they certainly know over this holiday period the truth of that. If you think of what's going on in Gaza, what was relevant in 1939 is every bit as relevant today. King George VI concluded his message with this poem and saying that the real need for mankind was to put their hand into the hand of God. We can look for all other sorts of things to sustain us. 
But if we truly want to be sustained, we need to put our hand into the hand of God. So for the moment, I want you to think about your gate of the year. A gate means that we move from the possibility of moving from one location into a different one. And of course, very soon, the gate of 2023 will close and we will all, we're not going to have a choice about it, we will all be moved into 2024. What are your reflections on the year that's gone by? I've made a list of some of the things that have gone on in uh, this last year. Harry published Spare in January. An earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Easy to forget. Thousands of people died. King Charles's coronation in May. Donald Trump got his mugshot taken in August. Wilco stores started to close in September. And then, of course, the Hamas attack being launched on Israel and all that has followed from that. If we'd stood here 12 months ago, some of those things may have been predictable. Others wouldn't have been in our minds at all. Some of these perhaps had little direct impact upon us. You may simply have been happy to have an extra bank holiday off work for the coronation, and that's it. But others will have had more of an impact, and certainly for some people, a devastating impact on them and their families. But you know, we can look at these big events, but I think as we pause to reflect on the year, perhaps there's much more local and personal issues that are what come immediately to mind. I hope some of them will be happy memories, but also I know some things will have been much harder. I hope and know that for many there will have been times of celebration, success in exams, promotion in work, or new birth coming into your families. But also I know that people have faced and still face various forms of trials, whether they're financial, problems within the family, illness. And I also know that some of these problems as a church family we might know about, and that there are some things that people keep very quiet. They keep to themselves. Uh, because it is so hard and difficult. And again, I would say that just like with these national events, some of the things happening in our personal lives might have been predictable. We might have expected them. And some things just happen that we would not have really uh, thought about. You know, however difficult things have been, I trust if we are putting our faith in God that we can say the words of the old hymn however hard it's been. I'll praise him for all that is past and trust him for all that is to come. 
So even as I've spoken, the gate has moved a bit further. We're five minutes closer to 2024. So what's going to happen in 2024? Well, it gets exciting again. Politically, elections all over the place. Now, some are predictable. I mean, we are just so bad at this, we don't even know when our election is going to be. These are big events, though. And to have Ukraine and Russia having elections so close together, wow. Exploration, there's lots of things happening in astronomy and this kind of thing, but uh, the launch of the first humans to Mars. What conspiracy theories are going to people hold on to for that, eh? And entertainment, for those of you who are interested, Malmo in Sweden, Eurovision. Uh, and just for those who may be sporting widows or widowers, um, just putting a warning up here for you, the Olympic Games uh, and the European Championships, which uh, we'll probably have interest in for about three games, I guess, Roger, and then it's over again for England. But there we go. Now, what else will we be talking about in 12 months' time? You know, there's places like Aleppo, names that suddenly come out that you'd never have heard of, and suddenly they leapt into uh, the forefront of the news, showing that, you know, things are not predictable. So on a personal level, I wonder how you look into this coming year as we move into 2024. I think for some of you, there will be excitement about new opportunities that will arise. Studying that's gone on for many years. And I know a lot of our students are back at, in their homes. But it's going to be rewarded. And, you know, that can then lead to new opportunities. And as John has already said, let's pray that there will be excitement as visa applications are granted to some of you living in great uncertainty. But perhaps as well, for many of us as we go into this new year, there is a fearfulness as you contemplate some of the challenges that you face. As I've said, some of those we may all know about, and some of them may be incredibly personal. And with this, and this is where we come to our poem, there may be uncertainty, there may be a sense that we are walking in darkness and not knowing uh, where we're going. And there may be a sense that we really are alone. Even if people are in our families, in our households, it may still be that we feel alone. We've got to be very careful about saying that we know what will happen in Luke 12, Jesus told a story to warn us about this. He spoke about a farmer. We have a farmer here with us. But I don't think this is, I think this is the opposite of what our farmer's doing now. This farmer said, you know, farmers often moan a bit. My brother's a farmer, so I can say this. I hope Neville, you can tell me after. Okay. And they sometimes are moaning, but this farmer wasn't. This farmer was full of himself. He said, what shall I do? I've got no place to store my crops. He said, this is what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. I'm sure some of you have heard the often quoted saying, when a rich person had died and at the graveside someone said, how much did he leave? And the answer is all of it. All of it. The Bible does not condemn, condemn forward planning. And I think sometimes we struggle a bit because some people are not very good at planning ahead. But it's simply that we can't leave God out of our plans. And so this is part of what I want us to think about as we contemplate going into the new year. There was a practice when I was growing up that often if people wrote letters, they would end those letters saying DV. That's a Latin phrase, Dio Valente, meaning God willing. You may tell me, you know, when we politely say, well, what are you doing this week? And you say such and such and such and such. But do we know? Because for us as believers, we know that all things are only DV, God willing. So the message that I want us to come to is summed up in the words of the last carol that uh, assuredly we're going to sing this year, John, unless you've got something planned tonight. Where it says the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The poem we read was spoken to a nation fearful of the coming year. And it wasn't a false fear. Because 1940 was going to be a tough year. Germany was sweeping through Europe. The Battle of Britain kicked in in June of that year. And the country suffered. We had the Dunkirk evacuation. And at the end of the year, December the 29th, St. Paul's Cathedral was hit by 28 bombs. The poem spoke of how people felt. Give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And the answer given was, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. And so I want us just to look at those three points, which I trust will help each of us as we go into 2024. As we face uncertainty, how can we be helped to tread into the unknown? As we face darkness, how can we be helped to step forward with confidence in our path? And if we're feeling alone in all of this, what company can we keep? So coping with uncertainty. You know, at school, the know-alls were not well thought of. I'm sure you probably can think back through your life to think about a few know-alls. 
But of course, the problem is that you find out that the people who think that they're know-alls, that's all it. They think they are, but they don't know all. Let me say reverently, there is a know-all, and that's our God. He does know all things. In 1 John 3, it says, We know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Now, what does God know? Matthew 10, verses 29 and 30 tell us that God knows the minutest details of everything that's going around us, such as even when a sparrow falls or when we lose a single hair. I know he's had a, you know, quite a lot of adding up to do for some of us. But um, God knows the minutest detail. God also knows the whole of history from beginning to end. In Isaiah 46, it says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times. What is still to come, I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. And in Psalm 139, verse 4, God not only knows the minutest details, and he not only knows the end from the beginning, but he knows our story, and he knows our current thoughts. It says there, you know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Now, some of us who put our foot in it wish the Lord would just speak up and tell us not to say some things. But isn't that incredible to think? So these verses should give us a confidence so that even if we don't know what will happen, God does. And if he's a God who cares about the sparrows, he's going to care for us. And we know he did care, and he does care because of the message of Christmas, that he was willing to send his son into the world in human form to meet our greatest need, which is to have peace with God. But, you know, it's not just for nothing. Because our verse in 1 John 3, after we read there that he knows everything, it stresses the fact that we need to trust him and live our lives differently because of what he's done for us. 1 John 3 verse 23 says, This is his command, to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. Now, genuinely, I want you to ask, do you believe? This is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Coming along to church does not make you a Christian. Reading your Bible does not make you a Christian. I mean, I would say it's good to come to church, and it's good to read your Bible. But the command is, that we need to believe in his name and to love one another 
as he commanded us. You see, if we have trusted him, then our lives should be different. Now you may say that all sounds good, but you need to go a bit further. Because wouldn't it be nice if God just told me a bit more? And this is not an easy subject area to kind of think about. But let me offer you these suggestions. And you can only really begin to enter into this if you have a relationship with God to start with. And I trust all of you will, before you go out today, know that you have a relationship with him. But if we are in relationship with him, first of all, I'd say that God tells us what we need to know. Psalm 84, verse 11, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Sometimes, you know, it might be better if we didn't know what's around the corner. But the point is, we have to trust God. He'll tell us what we need to know. Secondly, God reveals more to us when we've responded to what he's told us already. If you think of your Bibles, it's actually an ongoing revelation of God. In our home group, we're looking at the sermons in Acts that were given, which started off by us thinking about the fact they didn't have the rest of the Bible to preach about. So, you know, Paul, when he's in Athens, couldn't say, as I've written in Romans chapter 16, because they weren't there. God has continually revealed himself to us. But, you know, people complain, why don't you make it easier? In Romans 1, God says clearly, you know, I have shown myself in creation so that people are without excuse. The trouble is that God has shown himself and it says there people did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. With the disciples, there was often uh, more understanding. Jesus told them more as their understanding grew. And so, you know, what I'd say here partly is that it is how we are responding to him as we get closer to him and obey him more, that he will reveal more to us of himself. And ultimately, God does not need us to be all-knowing because he is all-knowing. What he needs from us is obedience. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. So as we face uncertainty, let's remember that God knows everything. The Bible makes it clear that that isn't just an all-powering kind of knowledge but it's in touch, it's down to the ground. He's in touch with us. And we need to trust him that he will show to us what we need to know to sustain us. But we need to trust him. 
So that was the uncertainty that uh, is spoken of in our poem. But then there was also the sense of walking into darkness. And this may be part of the fear that we have. We kind of know a bit of maybe some of the path that we're going to have to tread, but we don't know what it looks like. Now we can take confidence in 1 John 1 verse 5, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Darkness speaks of the absence of God. And so when we allow him to come into situations, however dark they may seem, the darkness begins to ease. Darkness cannot fight light. As soon as a bit of light comes in, the darkness begins to go away. And in the sermons that John was giving to us throughout the month uh, of December before Christmas, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep, deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, isn't that the prayer for our nation? As they would have felt in 1939, so now we would say, our nation is a people walking in great darkness. They need to see the light. As we think of Shelton, we know that this is a place which is living in the land of deep darkness and a light has dawned. I rejoice that so many students who've come to join us are living in Shelton. I might be wrong, but it seems to me that there's probably more Christians living in Shelton itself than for many a year. The light, there's an opportunity for the light to shine into this darkness. Jesus says in John 8, I am the light of the world. We can make things complicated, but that is so direct and profound. Jesus came into this world to be light despite the darkness. Lights allow you to see the way where to go. So often if we are needing to walk at night, we can have it to show us where to go. But light also helps to show up dirt. You know, if you've got a cupboard or something that's full of dirt, as long as you keep it shut and darkness is there, you don't see it. But as soon as you shine light into it, the dirt is revealed. Sometimes people prefer darkness. I've listened to a bit of the COVID inquiry. You know, and we can get drawn into the individuals and the personalities. But isn't it tragic that this is how we're being led? Some of these behaviors and some things which people can seem to excuse away. This isn't right. This is darkness. So sin shows us the way, but it also, sorry, light shows us the way, but it also exposes sin. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, but he also spoke to Pharisees and told them that they were hypocrites. He saw a woman sitting at a well and told her, go and sin no more. 
And with Zacchaeus, he didn't just say, it's really nice you've invited me for tea and didn't say anything. Zacchaeus had to become a changed man because he knew the sin that he'd committed and he tried to put things right. So I say to all of us here today, as the light of the world shines, is he convicting you of sin in your life? Because if he is, you need to do something about it. Someone has said in time past, you see, and we have all the glitz of Christmas and we enjoy it. We've celebrated it because it is the birth. It reminds us of the birth of Jesus coming to the world. But what do people want? They want Christ without the cross. They want heaven without hell. And they want forgiveness without repentance. I'm sure those of you who are parents have known children say sorry when the last thing they are is sorry. It has to be backed up, doesn't it, by truly being repentance. So I would challenge all of us today to look into our lives. If we are having fear about where we're stepping into, but we know that we are living in some way that displeases God, then do something about it. That's why Jesus came. He came to help sinners come to repentance. Whatever darkness we face then, we can have confidence in God. Jesus came as light to the world and he has overcome. At the start of John's gospel, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then it goes on to say, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So whatever darknesses you may face uh, or fear as you go into this new year, just remember this. Our light has overcome it. John 12, he says, I have come into the world as light so that no one in be who believes in me should stay in darkness. And I'm not trying to say that some of the issues that people may face are little, are small. I'm not trying to just say, oh, everything will be fine. But it's having that confidence that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. And so that is, again, what I come back to, the need to believe in him. Earlier in that chapter in John 12, Jesus says, believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become the children of light. You know, opportunity will not come forever. We've read already of the farmer and how he prided himself and all those good things that we think we'll do one day and how we'll change things in the future. Jesus says, believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become the children of light. And if you have already trusted in him. You know, we have a responsibility to live as lights for him. He is the light. 
but with the light in us, then we should be there so that that light is reflected and others can see it. Again, the old song would put it, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's not a bad New Year resolution for some of us to have, that we are going to be lights for Jesus. Uncertainty and darkness. But the poem that was read said the most important thing was to hold the hand of God. I can remember when I worked as a GP and in other jobs as well, but particularly being struck by patients who'd been living on their own. When you shook their hands, because obviously this was pre-COVID and you know, you, you did things in a nice friendly way. I don't know if we are allowed to shake hands anymore. But often people who are living on their own would, would cling onto your hand. They craved that connection, that contact. And there is that part within us, you know, that God has made us to be with other people. Why is that? Because he is a trinity. God has never been on his own. There's always been God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that's why he, he wants to share with us the joy of companionship. But holding a hand also for a young child often occurs when they feel unsure, when they're lost or when they, 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 they feel unsafe. And so holding a hand can also speak of the need to have security. Uh, and I'm told for young, uh, but it can be for older couples as well, Holding hand can, can be an indication of shared affection, you know? We can hold the hand of God. This is the God that we have to do with. You see, for some people, their image of God, if they have one at all, could be of someone who is very remote. Maybe he had some influence in kicking off the Big Bang, and, but then he's kind of just gone on one side there's no sense of a personal relationship. And I believe that's really one of the real hallmarks that sets biblically-based Christianity aside from other religions. We believe in the almighty God, but we also know that he wants to have a personal relationship with us. He is the almighty El Shaddai, all-powerful God, but he is also Emmanuel, God with us. This was a big event at Christmas. You see, we have to get beyond the nativity scenes. C.S. Lewis put it like this, God has landed on this enemy-occupied world in human form. Someone reflecting on this said, I love the imagery this quote evokes. It suggests that the incarnation of God in Christ isn't merely some quaint nativity scene picture. It's the invasion of light into the darkness. It signals the beachhead of God's reclamation and redemption of, of creation has begun. The passage that Derek read to us from John 10 speaks of why we can trust in the handholding of God. The verses before uh, the ones Derek read give us the context. 
Some people had responded to the message of Jesus. Others didn't. And it's no different today. But if we believe everything changes because a relationship has been established. And so with that relationship being established, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. Now, some of you may, well, all of you will have had to hear what I've said today. How well you've listened, I don't know. Have you come here today wanting to hear God's voice? You know, all of us who have trusted in God should be wanting to hear his voice far more excitedly than hearing the results on Strictly or Doctor Who. We should want to hear his voice speaking to us. Jesus goes further. He says, I know them. I don't know if you've ever been in situations when it's a little bit awkward if uh, someone doesn't recognize you or you don't recognize someone else. This can happen maybe if we've lost touch, if we haven't seen someone for a long time. Or maybe we've just become too important. Those people no longer matter to us. Jesus says, I know them. This is the almighty God. And he says, those of you who've trusted in me, I know you, I know you, I know you. And as you face uncertainty and darkness, you can go forward in this confidence to say, Jesus knows me. Because of this relationship, not only do we listen to his voice, but we follow him. That's the advice that we should follow. Again, he backs up the promise. He says, I give them eternal life. So if he's going to give us eternal life, he's going to help us in our life now, isn't he? And then there's a double promise. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. So he's adding in the confidence, it's not just God the Son, it's also God the Father. It's incredible to think that a child with a famous parent, when they put their hand into their parent's hand, they're not putting their hand into a famous hand. They're putting their hand into their parent's hand. Do you get it? This is the almighty God. Think of all that his hands have done. Think of the scars that are there. And yet, he wants us to put his, our hands in him. The old song, didn't it speak about the thigh bone being connected? You, you know which one I mean? This is my final thought. God puts, wants us to put our hand into him. But you know, the hand is connected to the arm. In Numbers 11, it says, Is the Lord's arm too short? That was the Lord speaking to Moses. That was the Lord telling Moses, My arm's not short. I can do this. I can provide. 
And those of you who've done a bit more anatomy will know that the arm eventually is connected to the shoulder. What have we been thinking about in Isaiah chapter 9? The government shall be on his shoulders. See, God's shoulders are broad. So as we go into 2024, we might be uncertain, but it's good to know that God knows all. So it isn't unknown to God. We might feel that we're in darkness, but Jesus is the light of the world and he wants to light our path. But above all, we might be feeling alone that there are battles here, that we just feel that no one else is with us, but he wants to hold our hands. Isaiah 41.13 says, Yes, and from the ancient days, I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act, who can reverse it? Let's just have a prayer and then we'll be singing a, a final hymn. Father, we're thankful for this time when we can stop and reflect on the year that has gone and look ahead to what lies before us. Lord, above all, I pray that you will help each person here to know that they have this personal relationship with you based on the work of Jesus, based on an acknowledgement of our sin and the need to come to you and confess and to put our trust in you. And Lord, may people here, particularly who face difficult things, just have a renewed confidence to know that they can put their hand in your hand and that you are all-sufficient. And so we pray a blessing for each person, for each household, for each family represented here today, that there will be a real knowledge of you directing, supporting, and helping through this coming year. In your name, Lord. Amen.